The Remedial Herstory Project is a nonprofit working to get women's history into the primary and secondary history curriculum. To help us meet our goal, we produce media, lesson plans, and so much more. You can check it out on our website, www.remedialherstory.com. Our project is funded through grants and by patrons, potentially like you. Thank you to our patrons, Jeff, Barbara, Christian, Kent, Jamie, Jenna, Nancy, Megan, Leah, Mark, Nicole, Anne, Sarah, Alicia, Katia, Michelle, Jessica, Laura, and Jackie. If you would like to join these wonderful people and become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com and become a supporter of the Remedial Herstory Project. You too can help us reform education and allow women to be seen, heard, and complicated. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the fabulous Edith Windsor, who Mm. took down the Defense of Marriage Act in U.S. history. Boom. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. In this episode, we're going to be asking the question, how did one woman legalize gay marriage in the United States? One woman to rule them all. (laughs) Okay, that's probably an exaggeration, and we are proponents of group effort, decades Sure, sure, sure. Lots of work moving it forward. Movements. But today we're talking about Edith, so we're going to give her a little cred. We're going to give her some serious cred. And on this episode, Florida, we're going to say gay (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I know. Poor Florida right now. Just getting hit. Dude. By Hurricane Gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Florida's on my shit list right now for a lot of reasons. I mean... Haven't they always been? And now it's just becoming very obvious why. I do like (laughs) Disney World. I am a big proponent. I think it's fun. I know. And this is the only real reason to go. Really put our Florida residents at odds of us because we do have a few listeners from the Florida area. And so we love you. We do. We say gay if you want to say gay. Yeah. (laughs) We're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. And we also would love for you to have choice in your life. That was another recent thing. Holy moly. Anyway, Florida aside, we are introducing our theme with this episode. A theme? Yeah. Kelsey, tell the folks what they're going to see in this theme. We're going to be talking about women and LGBTQ plus history. That's right. Women in LGBTQ plus history. Yeah. And we define women... As people who say they're women, you can go down that road. <laughs> I don't, whatever. If you are, if a woman, you are female identifying, boom, then you are female to me. Boom. Deal, deal, deal. Yeah. So, um, we are really excited to jump into that. That's been a recent, just defining gender has been such a recent thing with the Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, there's been a lot. And I, I had a really interesting dialogue with a lot of teachers, um, not that long ago that are really on the struggle bus with gender identification and gender norming and, um, pronouns. And 
I just want to say to the teachers listening, you're not alone. There's everyone's kind of on this struggle bus right now and there's a lot of support out there for you. And well, the problem is that the teachers are being put in the middle between exactly family and family and student. And, you know, teachers are in loco parentis in in the classroom. Um, They're, you know, in lieu of the parents, they serve as the parent and, you know, do what the, you know, like if your kid got injured, what would your, what would the parents want right, them yeah. to do? That sort of thing. But then it's hard when you are also responsible for and serving the education of the child in front of you. And if the parent and child are not on the same page with the child's pronouns, like that is, that's hard. So yeah, I don't envy educators right now. I mean, I work in an adult world where it's a little, a little less complex, you know, because people can show up the way they want to, and we just have to be respectful of that and then educate those who need educating. And so it's just a little different approach with adults. The maturity and respect levels are going to be different than the fluidity of what students at a teen or middle school age are going through. Yeah. Yep. It's tough. So we're going to be looking at um, people who identify as as female or gender nonconforming in history. In history, talking about gender and sexuality is really difficult because the language that we've had has in the last even just like couple decades has changed so much. And so when you stumble upon a pair of women, for example, who live together in the past and write letters to one another about how much they love one another. Mm-hmm. Are they just really good friends? Are they gay? And what, you know, are historians putting our lens on Yeah, today's lens or what lens they were in. You know, if you're looking at it in the 1970s versus 2004 versus 2021. Right. Very different lenses at each stage of that. So, well, and 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 how somebody in the nineteenth century would have identified, right? You know, like it's really hard to understand because yeah, those words that. weren't even available yet to make defining, you yeah. know, the words sexual statements. The words weren't available. The um, the acceptance wasn't available, and so maybe they would have denied, denied, denied. You know, like, um, but in other cases, it was widely acceptable, and we just don't have that historic understanding. So I'm so excited to get into this um, and and talk about some really interesting examples. Previously on the podcast, we have talked about um, Dr. James Berry in our birth episode yes. in season one. Yep. Um, such an interesting example of a person who identified as male, dressed as male uh, his entire life, and um, at death was discovered to be um, biologically female and such an interesting story. This was in the early 1800s and his accomplishments as a surgeon in the British army uh, were sort of scandalized mm-hmm. by the discovery of his uh, seeming femaleness at death. So, uh, you know, that's sort of just an interesting, interesting story and, and worth looking back at if you missed that episode in season one. But today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to start at the end, actually. Usually we've been doing ours and going really far back into ancient history, but we're going to mm. actually start more recently with some history that happened in 2013. So what were you doing in 2013, Kels? Brooke, literally the day that this event happened, like the final straw of Doma, I was going to ask you the same thing. Um I was sitting in Concord, New Hampshire, outside of Five Guys, waiting for my burger. 
and listening to NPR. True American. Yeah. And uh, they announced that the court had made their decision in um, the Edith Windsor case. And the Supreme Court had made their decision in the Edith Windsor case. And the Defense of Marriage Act was struck down. And basically, the path was cleared for later legislation to legalize or uh, later court cases to legalize gay marriage yep, and lay, in, and in lay the United States. Yep. And she, like, really this this case um, built on other earlier cases, but this case really clears the path and makes it possible to Yeah, they had to, like, debunk this first before yeah. they could get the rest of the legislature in line. And I remember, I don't know, like, I don't know why, but I remember this moment so vividly, just sitting there in the Five Guys parking lot, like delayed, you know, just like waiting to get out of my car to like hear the end of this story. And I just started crying because I was like, like, think about everyone that you know that whose lives just got easier, whose, you know, whose existence and humanity and love has just been validated <laughs> like it was just so well it hit think, me hard yeah i lived in that same boat i also had friends that several years prior had flown to different states where it was legal to yeah get married and they got married in those states but then had to go home to their home state and yeah live an, whatever an unmarried life and it it it, like their their marriage wasn't recognized by insurance companies or mortgage companies. Yeah. You know, it's just like all the things that at one point in time, women were not allowed to be recognized. You know, they had to have a head of household as male to yeah. do those things. And so you weren't in the, even to like the 1970s, you weren't even listed. You couldn't get a passport. If couldn't you couldn't get were a married. credit card without your dad. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just like, you know, we forget how far we've come. Mm-hmm. And then only the, recently. And that's, it's so, re- it's in our lifetime. It's in our parents' our lifetime. mother's lifetime, you know, yeah, and so much further to go, yeah. which is very exciting to bring more equality to this, to lives of, of people who are trying to just live yeah. and let them live. Yeah. Um, but there's so much legality when it says married or unmarried on paperwork for some reason still. And it's, yeah. We have to start thinking about why yeah. and asking ourselves, does this make sense anymore for the society we have? Yeah. Um, and this so, case in particular is so great yeah. to snowballing those questions. Yeah. So I want to start with what the Defense of Marriage Act was. Are you familiar with this legislation? I'm not probably at depth of what you've got over there, but I have some understanding. So but I'll ask questions for those who I know probably have them. The year is 1996. Bill Clinton is president. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's faced with a... And for uh, those who don't know, he's Democrat. He's a Democrat. And he's faced with a uh, Republican majority in Congress, both House and Senate. And this makes him... Actually, in AP U.S. history, it's usually a trick question on the on the exam. Um, they always ask... They give a you know passage of something that Bill Clinton said, and they ask... Um, who he's most similar to. And the correct answer is Ronald Reagan. Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a, a Republican. And um, and the, the point of that question is to remind students that he had to really, um, either he was or he had to really cater to um, the Republican legislator that he was dealing with. And one could argue, although I think that would be a cop-out um, <laughs> argument, he signs into law the Defense of Marriage Act. And one could argue that that was part of the rock and hard place that he was in. Mm-hmm. I'll give you this if you give me that, that sort of thing. 
The Defense of Marriage Act um, has several articles, um, but Article 3 defines marriage and spouse. And um, so it says the definition of marriage and sorry, section three, uh, the definition of marriage and spouse. And within that section, it says the word marriage means only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife. And the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or a wife. This legislation was a direct commentary toward states that were considering legalizing gay marriage in their state. Um, And it was trying to say, you can do whatever you want, but the federal government will Mm -hmm. not recognize those marriages. This creates a really problematic political situation. And we've seen this over and over again. Anytime states, bordering states in particular, have different laws about things. We're watching this play out right now with abortion, where women are having to leave Texas to go to Oklahoma. Now Oklahoma bans abortion, so they have to go somewhere else Mm -hmm. to have an abortion. It doesn't make abortions go away. It just makes women drive further to get them. Right. And you know, I think about, you could take this, you could draw these parallels throughout U.S. history, like with slavery, for example, where some states were free and some were slave states. And so enslaved people just needed to get to the free ones, right, in yeah. order um, in order to escape bondage. Um, and then the federal government passed fugitive slave laws to try to force those northern states to send those people back. Um, you can look at women's rights. You know, prior to the 19th Amendment, women in Wyoming and Utah and Colorado, they could vote. And so they were voting. And that was right. changing the land, the political landscape to make it easier. Hey, Kelsey, I don't think our listeners know about the new upcoming project that we're working on. Which one? The video series. Oh, the video series. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. So I thought we could tell them a little bit about what the project is how it's funded, and what the purpose is. Well, we are producing a video series, 25 episodes on U.S. history, 25 episodes on world history. And the point of these is to provide teachers who don't know women's history with like a 10-minute video that they could play for their class. So say you're teaching a lesson on the American Revolution. Here's 10 minutes about women in that time period. And it could be a foundation that you can springboard from and do something really cool on those women. And these videos are, yes, you, but they are fully scripted. You can look at the scripts. They're nicely edited with some really great content. Yep. They're vetted by historians, two PhDs, at least in history. So, you know, people smarter than me. (laughs) (laughs) But they're going to be free and they're on YouTube. And they'll be on YouTube. They also have a comedian from Hollywood yes. who is helping to make them funny. So it's, you know, because I'm like kind of boring. Uh, no, very <laughs> funny. <laughs> but that's awesome. So they're really engaging and they're really cool content. So more to come there. So we yeah. have those coming out. And those are funded through grants? Through grants, through our patrons. Okay. Um, so their, you know, contributions to us through Patreon 
are supporting that project. And then we also have a lot of people that have been donating through Instagram, Facebook. We have a Venmo account. You can find us there. That's awesome. Um, and they're making those contributions. So yeah, it's an amazing thing. And if this is something that you're like, yes, that's what teachers need. Any, every penny helps because it is a really expensive project. So. It, yeah, totally. And we had a match donor for a while there too, yeah. which is really cool. So definitely if you're People interested in those, yeah, feel free to donate. You can donate right on our website, Instagram and Venmo. Yeah. Which is awesome. Great work. I'm excited to see the rest of those videos. Oh, Brooke, thanks for your support of the project. Awesome. And so anytime the the federal government, it doesn't intervene, it creates this bizarre landscape um, for how to legislate the situation. And so for, for gay marriage, what's really complicated is if the federal government doesn't it takes a stand on this, but it's legal in some states. You know, the tricky thing is like people could fly to, say, New Hampshire, get married, and then go back to Texas and they couldn't get divorced because a lot of states had uh, laws that like you could only get divorced in your state of domicile where you sleep. Whereas you could get a marriage certificate from anywhere. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, when people were all going to Reno or Vegas to get married, some of their states would make them go back to Vegas or Reno and to get divorced. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a weird, it's just a very weird landscape. And when they're not recognizing marriages equally, um, you know, that certificate equally, that just, it's so, like, it just creates so many weird legislative and legal hurdles that well yeah not even individuals with, like, have to jump through yeah insurance and um wills and you know people when they pass want to leave their dependents their 401k or their money you can't if you're not legally married or if you don't have their social security number it wasn't possible prior to some of these laws changing and so you know there's so many things that really would impact the care of loved ones if you pass, like if your child isn't biologically related to the father because th there's two male, you know, dads and and then the yeah. one the one that is biologically related and he passes, they might lose their son. Yeah. And yep. and so these things are all critical to, you know, the success of the lifestyles and the families that are living today. Mm -hmm. And the laws have to evolve with the culture that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. So Bill Clinton signs into law the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996. He regretted that um, and on, at numerous points uh, said that it should be overturned. Um, one A quote from him, he said, In 1996, I signed the Defense of Marriage Act. When I signed the bill, I included a statement with the admonition that enactment of this legislation should not, despite the fierce and at times divisive rhetoric surrounding it, be understood to provide an excuse for discrimination. Of course, it did, Billy Boy, but whatever. Uh, reading those words today, he said, I know now that even worse than providing an excuse for discrimination, the law itself is discriminatory. It should be overturned. So I think it's powerful that he he made that statement, but also a little get, bit too late, buddy. But it's good that he, you know, and I think we don't in history have a lot of reflective president, former presidents giving their thoughts on their term and time in office. And that's only been more recently that we have a lot of that because they're still alive. Um, you know, Jimmy Carter is a great example. He lives, you know, for long periods of time and got to say, you know, that wasn't a great choice when I was in office. I mm -hmm. wish I had done something different. Mm -hmm. um, Obama, similarly. Yep. Bill, um, 
Bill Clinton does, Bush, you know, they're all still around. Yeah. And they do. They make comments on legislature that they wish they had done it different. Yeah, legislation. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2013, almost a decade after this law has been in practice in the federal government, um, Edith Windsor comes to the scene. Uh, she has a memoir out that people can read that is really cool. I uh, listened to it on Audible. It's awesome. Her life story is just really fascinating. And this, you know, DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act involvement is just one piece of a very long career of activism and um, and work towards making this a better union for everybody. Um, so, so she's just really, really amazing. Um, honing in specifically on the Defense of Marriage Act. Um, she had been a gay rights advocate uh, for many years prior to her Supreme Court case. Importantly, in 2003, uh, Lawrence v. Texas decriminalized gay sex in the United States. And so um, there were lots of states that had sodomy laws on the books. Some of them still have them on the books, but they're sort of invalid. Um, you can't criminalize, you can't arrest and, and charge somebody as criminal for being a homosexual. Um, but hello, people, 2003 was yeah. when that happened. Oh, my Lord. There's already legal precedent for um, changing the federal perspectives and positions on um, gay relationships. She was in a relationship for 40 years with Dr. Thea Spire, who is a psychologist. Um, they were legally married in Canada in 2007, and in 2009, Spire died. And um, Edith Windsor, as her wife, inherited her wife's estate. Right. Okay. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, so the um, IRS denied her the spousal exemption from federal estate taxes. So what that means is like if your husband died, for example, yep, you get his. you get his money and you're not taxed on it because his money's your money because you're married. And no one really questions it. All you have to do is show your you've been living together. Here's your thing. Here's your thing. Go. Married. But because they were two women and according to the Defense of Marriage Act, their marriage is not valid, right? Because it's not, it, you know, they are not one man and one woman, right? That sort of thing. They tax her on her inheritance just as if I died and I left my money to you. Right, as friends. As friends, right? That's so messed up. In all, she had to pay taxes $363,000. Oh my goodness. Isn't that unbelievable? That's a huge bill. That is huge. And that's like one of those things too, like when you die and you want to leave things to your family, you forget the impact that they have to pay when it comes to taxes and your funeral and all these costs. But to have that be burdened and to be taxed as much as a family member would, like that's just insane. Yeah. Like that is, that's her money. She helped make it. Like- it's not just her wife's. <laughs> yeah. Like when you think about she you She provided and, the conditions to allow her wife to make that money and have that estate. Exactly. Like you and, and your husband in your home, you don't see money as yours and his. It's together. Yeah. All marital assets as one. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we are pretty weird about our personal finance. True. Um, we but have, if like Jeff died, <laughs> you'd be like, I helped him make that money. It's mine. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely seize it all. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and I mean, so 
originally, all she wants to do is get her money. Like, she she goes and wants a tax refund. And I don't know, you know, sometimes people are just pursuing their own personal interests. Um, but this is, she's a gay rights activist. This is, th- this is the moment, right? Yeah, she's like, oh, am I being tagged? I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she sues. Well, and what else is she going to do with her time? She's lost her partner. She's like, oh, I've got all the time for this. Yeah, they were together for 40 years. Yeah, she's like, oh, you want to come at me? Yeah. I'm I'm a very dangerous person to mess with. I've got nothing to lose. (laughs) She claims that the law, by recognizing only marriages between a man and a woman, um, unconstitutionally singled out same-sex marriage partners for differential treatment. It basically is saying these marriage certificates are valid, but these marriage certificates are not valid. And in there's so many layers to this in terms of legal precedent that are interesting because you could also look at this like a state's rights issue, mm-hmm. right? Like this state has certified this license. So yeah. So by not honoring it, yeah, the federal government is discriminating state. against states, right? right? Yeah. So in addition to like, you know, like personal freedoms and, and, you know, respecting consenting adults and all of those things, yeah. um, so it's just, it's it's fascinating on a number of of levels. So the court ultimately rules in her favor. Justice Kennedy stated for the majority opinion the federal statute is invalid for no legitimate purpose overcomes the purpose and effect to disparage and injure those whom the state by its marriage laws sought to protect in personhood and dignity by seeking to displace this protection and treating those persons as living in marriages less respected than others. The federal statute is in violation of the fifth amendment. Boom. Boom. Don't violate no amendments, people. Okay. And so the stage is set. The stage is set. So there's a big catch. Um, This decision does not make it unconstitutional to, you know, block gay marriages within a state. And at the time, there were 37 states that banned gay marriage. 37? 37 out of 50. But I love, so similarly to the women's right to vote, how they were like, we're, we're going to go state by state by state until we tip so many of them, they can't turn us down. And so similarly, they started doing this. Well, they had been doing that up to this point, but actually her case lays the groundwork needed. And in two years, the Supreme Court is able to knock down those laws well, yeah. using the same Ascent, very similar arguments that were used to take down DOMA. Nice. Um, gay rights advocates were pretty bummed because the ruling fell short, basically. It said the federal government can't discriminate against mm-hmm. gay people, but states can, essentially. So it's not until 2015 in Obergfell v. Hodge that three related cases uh, pulled, like, sort of brought together in this um, in this Supreme Court case. They held that same-sex couples had a constitutional right to marry anywhere in the nation with all the protections and privileges of heterosexual cu- uh, couples. So it's just two years later. I think it's really important to understand that this this woman and her story just sort of like paves the path. Yeah, she was. She had a great case for, you know, to take it forward. And I think those are the things you always look for as lawyers. Like, 
how far can we take this and what's the argument we can make and can we win? Yeah. You know, otherwise, you know, it's just another case that's sitting on the books that we can't go forward with. And they had, they had a great case and it made sense so that everyone else could build off of it, which is kind of the fun part of law. So later in this theme, we're going to look at people in history who had queer relationships or clearly loved, maybe, you know, maybe there was no sexual relations or anything like that, but they clearly loved somebody of the same sex. And I think there's so many really cool examples. One of the stories we're going to look at um, are, you know, the period before Stonewall and, um, you know, the rise of the gay rights movement in in a more public eye uh, in U.S. history. And I think it's important when you get to that episode and you're listening to our expert talking about it um, to sort of put in perspective that Edith Windsor is living in that time and Mm -hmm. so much of her early life and her early relationship, I mean, 40 years. So if you go back from 2013 or 2009 when her spouse died, go 40 years back, she's living in a time where she's discriminated. She can't let people know. She hides her um, relationship with the woman that she has proposed, you know, the, her partner proposed marriage to her and, um, they, they seal it actually interestingly with a brooch instead of a ring because they thought a ring might give them away. Um, and so she has this symbol of their marriage that she carries with her every single day, but goosebumps, I got goosebumps, right? Like, but she has to hide that from her employer, from certain people. Oh my gosh. At the world, because they really felt like women who loved other women in that time, they should be locked up, put in a loony bin. Like, they're crazy. Why would... That's not normal. Yeah. And so many people would discriminate against yeah. them. The college that I went to would have expelled them. Um, oh, gosh. The lives. They would have been ruined. And thank God that is not today. Well, uh, yeah. At least that's better in some cases today. Yeah. But it's there's still so much, you know, the 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 effort to attack queer trans youth today um, oh is just unbelievable. And you know, in this time in 2022, like what is going on? And have we learned nothing yeah. from our past in these moments? Like it just you want to just be like, remember that time that everyone else was on the wrong side of history? Like, can we just like keep learning from these moments where discriminating against people for who they are? It's just wrong, no matter yeah. what. Yep. Across the board. Yep. Skin, sex, all the things. <laughs> Anything immutable. Like, Anything. just stop hating on people. Yeah. And stop making laws to hate. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. So it's. I think there's so much overlap between her personal life as well as this this really important um, moment that she's a part of. Uh, Edith Windsor died in uh, a few years ago in 2017, and um. I just, I think of her smiling face. If you are watching this on YouTube or if you're on Instagram, you can see our our picture that we'll put with her in relation to our promotion for this episode. Um, and she just is such a powerhouse and I hope more people tell her story. We have a lesson plan about the striking down of DOMA that highlights Edith Windsor and her history that I hope people check out on our Very website. Cool. And, um, Let's get into this theme. I'm stoked. Me too. This is a great theme. I'm excited for it. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks, Brooke. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.